Tonight we're going to be studying on Colossians, uh, just a short little book. And uh, tonight as we've been going through um, um, the Bible, how to study the Bible, we've been taking books. And uh, so now we're in the New Testament and you can see uh, Ryan did Acts last week and uh, Dan did um, Mark the week before. And uh, so I'm continuing on. We decided to take one of these little epistles. And um, so you have your notes. Hopefully you have them there. And as I was thinking about this, um, we just had our general council. The Assemblies of God just had a general council out in uh, California. And uh, it was probably about a month or two before um, they had that. They sent all the ministers. It's a book. It, and it was about 20 pages. And it's all the resolutions. Um, things that need to be changed in the assemblies of God that they want to bring. So it could be that they just, sometimes that we just need to change the wording on something. So the resolution will be, uh, whereas uh, the wording is not good, therefore this is what we want to do and we change it. And it could be that we want to start a, some group within our organization. We want to do something and so it is, whereas we want to change this, therefore we resolve that and um, so then they go through, if you ever sit in these meetings, um, Pastor and I have, and Dawn and some of our pastors, sometimes it's good and sometimes, wow, it's just boring. So, and uh, this is one thing I've always found. The, the things that are really important, I think, man, this should take a few hours. Five minutes go by and let's pass it and let's go. Those things that I think are so trivial, Oh, that should take five minutes. Two hours later, and we're amending it and everything else. And, but it's the therefore that's important. It's the therefore that's important. And uh, so tonight, you'll see as I finish up, the therefore is important. The historical context of the book of Colossians. The setting, it's the city of Colossa. Uh, it was a city by Phryga, uh, located about 120 miles east of Ephesus in Asia Minor. Today we would know it as Turkey. And so if you, if you get out a map and you look where Turkey is, that's where you would find uh, Colossa. And the inhabitants at that time were uh, mostly Greeks and Hebrews, but there were some other nationalities that would come in. This was a big uh, commercial area where there was a lot of commerce and, and those kinds of things that were taking place. And um, if you also look at that map, uh, you'll see a number of other places around other cities, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but it was a place where wool was, and they had all these different things to bring money into that area, where they had rivers, and um, so they had a lot of, of commerce that were coming through there. Also, you'll find in there Philadelphia, Laodicea, Sardis, you guys are catching on where I'm going, and the other four cities that are mentioned in Revelation when we find the letter to Philadelphia and Sardis and Laodicea. Those areas are right around where Colossae is. So it was really interesting as I was looking at that. The author is Paul, and he is the author of uh, Colossians. We can see that in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So he, he tells who is writing it and he tells who he's writing it to. And he also throws Timothy's name in there that Timothy happens to be with him at this time. The letter was written while Paul was in prison in Rome. 
in the years between uh, 60 and 62 A.D. Many scholars don't believe that Paul had visited, though, uh, Colossa at that time. Uh, and so he had never been there. And uh, we will see that it's because of Epaphras had brought him word that everything was going good, but there was a few things that they needed to talk about. He needed some, some uh, wisdom from Paul. And so he comes and he talks to Paul about it, and that is why the letter is written, so that this letter can be sent back to the church to help them with the things that they're dealing with. Uh, it's called the uh, prison epistle. Paul also wrote Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon in the same time period. So, I mean, I, I kind of thought about it. If you're in prison, you really don't have a whole lot to do. So Paul has these uh, people that are, have come to him, and uh, he's writing back to try and help them out. And we also believe that Ephesians and Colossians were written very close together um, because if you look at two scriptures that I have down there, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, but that you also may know about my circumstances how I am doing. Tychicus, and beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. Then if you go over to Colossians 4, 7, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. It's almost the same verse that this gentleman is going to be bringing the word back to them at this time. Philemon was also part of this that you can see because, uh, and we'll get to it in a minute also, uh, Onesimus is going also with him at the end. Remember that Paul has the time to write this in prison. Do you remember writing letters when you were a kid? How many of you write? We don't do it anymore. Does anybody do it anymore? A couple on the back. Good for you. Yeah, I remember that I, the letters that I wrote the most were to uh, a cousin of mine. We were the same age. And uh, growing up, we'd write a letter, and I'd send it to him. And probably about a month later, I'd get a letter back. And that just wouldn't work today, would it? No, we have emails, texts, we have smartphones, we got planes and everything else. And the thing is, is these letters had to be taken by hand, you know, and it wasn't easy to travel at that time. So these were letters that were very important, held on to and, and held very close to the heart for the importance that they were. Uh, this letter was also to go to Laodicea after it was read at Colossae. It's in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So Paul had sent letters to both of these places, and he wanted them to switch so that they could understand what was going on. Like I said, they were close in proximity and probably had similar issues that they were dealing with within the church. The grand narrative is redemption. And also, it's kind of leaning towards new creation. I was talking to uh, Ryan about that this morning. Uh, because we can see that he shares about Christ in the first two chapters of Colossians. And um, in talking about Christ, talks about what Jesus Christ has done, and, that, and yet also what Christ is about to do. The literary style, it's an epistle, and that is not an apostle's wife, Okay. It's not. An epistle is a pastoral letter, 
And I'm going to take some of what Ryan had shared with us earlier. Um, letters were a way for a pastor from a distance uh, were be, uh, to help another church viewed as an authoritative substitute for the actual presence of the author. Some of the formal, the Romans, Ephesians, Hebrews, James, and 1 Peter, and then some of the less formal, the Philemon, 2nd, and 3rd John. Letters are also situational, meaning that they were written to a specific church dealing with a specific issue. Could be doctrine issues, life, lifestyle things, or other issues that the church was going through. Many letters were written by a scribe, as the apostle dictate, and you'll see that with Colossians. All letters were written to a Christian audience also. All these epistles. And basically, it's just a small letter to help a church deal with the issues that they're going through. Regarding the interpretation, it's very uh, beneficial to think of it as you're reading this in paragraphs and not verse by verse. It's a letter. We don't. When you write a letter, you didn't just write one sentence and then next line, write another sentence. And No, we write in paragraphs. So as you're reading Colossians and some of these that are epistles, read them as paragraphs. Read them as a letter from someone to somebody else and understand the heart of the person writing it. Next, we have the structure. Uh, and that's the general structure of the book is, is twofold. Chapters 1 and 2 are focused on theology, and chapter threes and 3 and 4 are the practical uses of that theology. So that's, that's, that's a big part of it. And let me break it down a little bit more. Uh, the outline in Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, is Paul's greeting to those in Colossae. Verses 3 through chapter 2, 23 is the good news of Christ. Chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 6, living the new life in, the new life in Christ. Chapter 4 through, I'm sorry, 7 through 18 is Paul's final instructions and his greetings at the end. His greetings at the end. So when I was in Bible college, I had to take a, a class on how to study the Bible. And one of the things that we had to do, a lot of things that we've already learned uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, I was taught. One of the other things that they would tell you is to read, if you, you know, let's take this book, is to read it a number of times. And then you kind of you kind of bring it down. So find some themes, you kind of find some overarching uh, thoughts that are in here. And then you go back and you read it again. Okay, bring it down a little bit smaller to maybe a couple of sentences. And then you bring it down even further to where you can put it down to a one sentence of what, you know, a book is all about or, you know, what you're studying. And it was interesting because then we had to do it. And um, the teacher would always kind of give us, you can pick from these books. And, of course, you want, you know, you're in Bible college. Uh, you know, Colossians would have been a good one. He never gave us small books like this. No, you got to... Take one of the Gospels. So, so tonight what I decided to do, and uh, we've kind of uh, done a little bit, is because this book is so small that I thought, well, let's just, let's just go through the book. Let's go through the book, and uh, we will study it tonight. And uh, hopefully as you have learned these uh, tools, that you will use them. So through the book tonight, number one, Paul addressed the issues in a systematic way by telling them who Christ is and what he has done. 
And that's what the beginning of this book is, first two chapters as I've talked about. Uh, at this time, there were some false teachers who had come in, and they were kind of disturbing the church. They were trying to teach on some other things, and we can also see that uh, any time you get into um, doctrine, people will want to put their slant on it. They'll want to bring their own thoughts into it, and uh, we need to take the word for what it is, the word for what it is. And be very careful how we divide it and how we look at it. And make sure that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to also help us to, to really read it and understand it. Because you can even see in different versions of the Bibles how people will interpret that. How people will interpret it. I asked my sister, is a couple of years ago, I, she's a CPI, I said, I have a question for you. I said, help me out. And she goes, well, let me go and do some research and so she came back and she says, this is what it says. It says, you should, so on and so on and so forth. I said, that, that's not helping me. She goes, no, that's the exact wording in the law that you should. That means that I don't necessarily have to, am I correct? And she goes, yes, but you should. So people can do it or they can't do it. And we went back and forth for about 20 minutes. And I said, so I don't have to do it. And she goes, no, you don't have to do it. But you should. <laughs> Can I get another CPA? No, they're going to say the same thing. Be very careful, you know, when people come in and they tell you certain things. And that's sometimes even in the church. We struggle within the church ourselves, even as advanced as we are with all that we have to understand the Word of God. Sometimes we can be persuaded. This past week we had an eclipse, and uh, there's some that would put end times to that eclipse, and some that would say that's absolutely ridiculous. And then a lot of people fall in between. I'm not going to get into that tonight. Sometimes, yeah, there you go, you're welcome. Uh, they're trying to persuade them that they should eat and that what the holidays that they should uh, celebrate and the new moon uh, uh, ceremonies and all these different things. That's what was going on. And, and sometimes they had people have good motives. Remember that Jesus Christ died on a cross and grace was given. So no more sacrifices. But my grandfather sacrificed and my father sacrificed, and you're telling me now I don't have to sacrifice? This is, uh, this, I kind of say it sometimes, this was a hard left turn to understand this is what has happened all the way back. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they've sacrificed animals for sins and going forth and all the way up, even to Jesus to where we can see in the temple and all these things, the animals were taken in, and now we don't. Sometimes it's hard, and it's hard for us to give up our traditions. So there were some people who would come in, and some people who were not Christians, and some who were in the church, and they're trying to work all this stuff out. It's still true today. We're still trying to work things out in the church. They were preoccupied with following the various rules, especially those pertaining to the body. And lastly, the teaching of false teachers did not have Christ as the center of it. Any time that we hear any kind of teaching of Jesus Christ is not in the center of it, be very careful. Be very careful. So in chapters 1 and 2, we find that Paul is now laying the foundation. 
just like we are on Sunday mornings when it comes to the Beatitudes. We have said it over and over again. The Beatitudes help us with our attitudes. Our, it, we say this is kind of a foundation that we are laying because we are going in on Wednesday nights into the Sermon on the Mount, and as we continue on, we need to have a good foundation. Number two, Paul gives thanks for the Christian life that they are living. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 14, he had heard about their faith in Christ and their love for God's people. The good news that they had heard and they had accepted him into their hearts and that they were doing well. It's always nice to have that. Paul uses the phrase, we pray, three times in just this, this couple paragraphs here. Again, it goes back to, as I said, find sometimes those things that words pop out over and over again. And he has said this time, three times we pray, which shows Paul's love for the church, a church that he's never seen. Because if you're going to pray for somebody, most times you love what you're praying for in that situation. To remember them in prayer, as you read the Bible, look at those types of things when you see something over and over and over again. Really, though, it was two prayers, one for thanksgiving of what they have done, and number two was an intercessory prayer that Paul was going to be praying for them. Number three, Paul writes a poem, and this was interesting. We're going to read it tonight. Verses 15 through 20. Chapter 1, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to him, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven." So I was trying to study this a little bit, this poem. It's kind of like a song. I heard some say it's kind of a little song, it's a little poem. And what I gleaned from it is this was a way for them to remember. And we've all done this. We learned songs when we were kids, and we turned around and we taught them to our kids, didn't we? Jesus loves me, this I know. Come on. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. See, you all know that. And what is it? That is some Bible that you were taught, and you probably taught to your kids to sing that song. And it's similar to that, that this was something that they could take with them, and they could remember this is the story of Jesus Christ, what he's done. It talks about the cross, talks about the blood. And we see a, a great little thing that they could take out of this letter and remember and pass on to the next generations. The theme of the poem is Christ, probably to them to memorize it and for them to share. And in verse 15 through 17, it's from before creation and his power, 18 
and to 20 shows the new creation that comes from him dying on the cross and what it brings to us. Aren't you happy for that? Number four, the good news of Jesus Christ and Paul has suffering for it. Verses 21 through chapter 2 and 5. In our video tonight, it talked about the Word of God and being shared and hearing that Word. Paul admonishes them that they need to hear the good news, that they need to hear the good news, because the good news is the promise of eternity. If you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you have eternity. Do you think about that? Something we should think about. That The older we get, the more you're going to think about it. Paul also talks about his personal suffering for them and for Christ. In verse 24 of chapter 1, it's not on the PowerPoint, it says, um, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affections. Can you say that? I now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then also in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who, ha who have not personally seen my face. Paul rejoices in the suffering. Paul rejoices in the suffering. He helps them to understand that it's not always easy. That should convict us even more, to share more, to do more, that people would, you know, come at us. I don't, I don't think that we share enough. I don't think that we witness enough. At least I know I don't. I know I don't. And, and here in the United States, we have freedom of speech. We can go and we can share with somebody. If they don't like it, they can walk away. We can see over in China that you can be thrown in jail. Certain places for sharing the gospel. And I think that's one of the reasons I was listening to a message this past week, that that is one of the reasons why the gospel is, is spreading like wildfire over there. They understand the persecution. There's people, in, in, even at this time, who are in prison for sharing the gospel with people. We don't even think about that. That if I would go outside these four walls and go to the pizza ranch and sit down next to somebody and open up my Bible and start sharing with them, the, only, the worst that can happen is they're going to call the police and the police tell me to move on. That's it. I'm not going to jail here in this country. I'm not going to suffer. Do I think it's coming? I think it's coming, though. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. But to suffer for Christ's sake, Paul understood that. He was in prison a lot. And he did it. And the thing is, is when he was released, he didn't just leave Say, okay, I'm not going to do that again. No, he went back out. When he was beaten, he went back out. When he was stoned, he went back out. And he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number five. In the next part, we see freedom from rules and a new life in Christ. And this is chapter 2, verse 6 through 2, 24. Paul tells us the reason for his writing, and it's in, in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. I say this so, that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Paul is writing this letter to help them that they would stand firm no matter what they heard from others, no matter what was being done, no matter what others were trying to persuade them to do. 
That's what that verse says. That's the crux of this letter. If I can nail it down to one sentence, it comes down to this. I say, me, I say this so that no one would delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. And your faith in Christ. He's trying to help them to stand firm, to have this foundation. And then secondly, Paul has a warning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty decisions. I'm sorry, deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Rather than according to Christ. So he tells the reason and then he kind of gives a warning. Be careful. Be careful because these things are going to happen. They're going to come in. They're going to try and persuade you. The Colossians had a belief in polytheism, which it talks about many gods at this time. And it wasn't the Christian church. It was those of that area. Uh, many of those also were wanting to follow the Old Testament, not following grace. It's in this section that we see the words don't let or don't many times. Go, go through and read um, 6 through 24. You'll see don't and don't let over and over and over again. It's interesting that Paul is telling them that they are set free from the bondage of this world, but yet he is in bondage while he's writing this. While he's writing this. Paul helps them in verse 20. The first part of it says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? He says, you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're free, and yet you're being bound up by the philosophies of this world. He's trying to help them to be free, to be set free from those things. Paul now turns to the practical matters. Chapter 1, chapter 2. Now we move on to 3 and 4. Living the new life in Christ. What does that new life look like? Let's take out the Bible again. First, I'm going to read all these, if you don't mind. Verses 1 through 17. It says, If you have been raised up with Christ, keeping, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is our life and revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you will also once Sorry, in them you once also walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self and, evil and its evil practices. Then have put on the new self who is being renewed to you, I'm sorry, to a new, to a true knowledge according to the image of one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, bar, uh, barbarian, and Seraphonish. Yeah, Seraph. <laughs> I knew I was going to get that one wrong. Uh, slave and freeman, but Christ is all in all. 
And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing thankfulness in their hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Did you get all that? There's a little bit of practical stuff in there, isn't there? Yes. Take the, read that list over and over and over again and see if you fall into any one of those categories. And if you do, then you need to go back and read chapter 1 and 2. Then read chapter 3 again. If you see yourself in any of those, then go back and read chapter 1 and 2 again. You get it? 1 and 2 helps us with 3 and 4. And the thing is, is I'm just going through the public reading. Did you see the video? It helps us to get the sin out of our life. It helps us to get the sin out of our life. As they read the scriptures, then the people would draw closer to God. And when the scriptures were no longer around, they kind of fell away from God. We need to have the scripture in our life, and this scripture tells us what to do. It's because of Christ that we are set free from the sin of the world. The, real, the world is the one who keeps us inbound. Even though Paul was in prison writing this, he was free on the inside knowing that he was doing the will of God. Now, I've, I've never had handcuffs on. I've never been bound up except for my sisters when we were kids and, you know, those kinds of things. But uh, I have been in prisons. I have been in jails. Not because I've done something wrong because I'm on the good side of the bars. And to, to go into the, some of these places, when I was in the Philippines, went to a prison um, that there were probably about 40, 45 guys in a room about the size of our community room. Absolutely no beds, just concrete on the floor, and that was it. And it was about 110 degrees every single day, and there was absolutely no air conditioning in there. It took us about an hour to get used to the smell, and we were there to minister to these guys. And that was, that was nice compared to what Paul was in. Paul was bound up in some hole in the ground that had probably been dug out or some cave and chained to the wall or whatever it happened to be. And yet he was still free on the inside. Don't let the world bind us up. Number seven, he then turns to relationships in specific areas in chapter 3, verse 18 through 4.1. The first is to the household. Wives to their husbands to be subject to them. Husbands to your wives to love them. Children to parents to obey them. Slaves to masters to obey them. Masters to slaves to be fair. I think we've covered everybody in here, haven't we? You're either a husband, you're a wife, or you're a child could be that you're a master, could be that you're a slave. He's given instructions to each and every one of us. 
The last instruction is to pray in verses, or, yeah, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And again, let me read this. It says, Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Now, wait a second. <laughs> I had to go back and read this again. And I've read this a number of times in the last week or so. And I, it wasn't until today that I read this. And he says, pray at the same time for us as well that God may open up a door for us. He's in prison. And he's, he's not necessarily wanting the prison door to open up, though that would be good. He's saying, when we get out of here, we want a door to go. We want a place to go that we can share the gospel. He's already looking at the next place. He's not bound up by the chains of this world. He's set free by what God wanted him to do. He says, pray the same time for us as well that God will, may open up a door for us to share the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison in order that I may make it clear in the way that I'll speak. He tells us to pray. He tells us to pray. As you go through a book and as you read it, there's so much meat in each and every one, even if you just read a paragraph. All of you can probably agree with me that there's times when you've read a scripture, I've read it 40 times, and I don't know what it is about this time, but this just really jumped off the page. And it's because lots of times, that's where God knows he needs to speak it into your life at this point. Sometimes you've read it over, and maybe, you know, God hasn't revealed what you need at that point. Maybe he has. I know that happens to me all the time. I've read that and I've read that and I've read that. Just like that scripture, I've never seen that, that Paul asked for a door to be open so that he can continue to go on. He was getting close to the end of his life, but he still wanted to go. He was going to go until his last breath as he was martyred. Paul now concludes this letter with a greeting and instruction in 4, verse 7 through 18. It is a man named Tychicus that will be the one who will deliver the letters to the Colossian church. He was one that, you know, Paul had said, listen, I want you to do this. He was close. He was not in prison, I don't believe, at that time. And uh, so Paul knew that he was going to be writing this letter, and he was going to send him and probably maybe send him on to Laodicean church. And he says, also with him, Onesimus, who was the runaway slave of Philemon. The runaway slave. He was also going, and, and, and if you want, go and read that story. It's real quick. Um, about Paul asking, basically, that Philemon would forgive the slave that he ran away. And I don't know if ticket, yeah, boy, I'd struggle. Why can't they be called Bob. Tychicus, <laughs> Why, you know, I didn't know if he, he had him on a rope or what, but if you're an Onesimus and you know that Paul has written a letter, you've got to go back and face your master. You might, you might take this letter that he's written to the, the, to the Colossian church and you, where it says, Masters, <laughs> be fair to your slaves. 
But Onesimus had his own letter that he was going to be taking back to Philemon. And it's interesting, as you read these books, see the cross, how letters cross over, how the Bible crosses over. And one thing bleeds over into another. And go and study that. He goes on, and there's some that are with him in prison. There's some that are just with him in that area. But Paul knows that he wants to help this church. He has sent this letter, number one, to set the theology to help them to understand this is what it's all about, Jesus Christ. Number two, here's some practical things that you need to be doing because we have heard from those who have come that you're struggling in this area. And then he goes and he greets. I'm not going to get into all the greetings and all those different things. This letter was probably dictated by Paul, which so many times epistles were, to somebody else, a scribe or whatever. But he does sign it in the end. One of the last few verses, it says, Paul, my writing, this greeting in the end. So tonight, in conclusion, Paul urges the Colossians to examine the life of Christ and the meaning of the cross. Therefore, therefore, they are to change what they're doing. He tells them about Jesus Christ in the first two chapters, and then between chapter 2 and chapter 3 is a therefore. Do these things. Christ has died for us. Therefore, what should we do? We should look at our own lives and examine our own lives. One of the things I would challenge you to do this week is to take this book and to read it a couple of times. Now that we've gone through it tonight, hopefully I've brought some insight to you, but go back and read it a couple of times and see if there isn't some things that pop off the page. Understand the book, first two chapters, theology, three and four, practical. That when you read then another book that you look at these things, look at some things that are said over and over again. And see, why is he saying them over again? We've seen that in, in other scriptures where it says, verily, verily, he's really trying to get their attention. And lots of times when things are written over again, it's to get our attention. Paul has written this great letter that is going to be sent now to these men. They're going to travel. And as they travel, they're going to go to these churches. And how do you think the churches are going to respond? When they get a letter from an apostle, one of the great apostles, Paul, who has written a letter of compassion to this church. I'm sure it was probably read over and over and over and over again. Every Sunday, this is how we're starting church. We're reading Paul's letter to us, telling us about the theology of what Jesus Christ has done, helping us to straighten up some of those things that we do on a practical, everyday occasion so this week read this great book read this letter of love that he has given unto this church and see if you see the theology and if there's something in there maybe that you've, you've breezed over sometime quickly and then go to the practical read that those 17 verses see if your name's in there somewhere Stand with me, if you will, tonight. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. Father, you sent a, a man who loved you, 
to prison in Rome. And as he hears from this one coming and talking about the Laodicean church and the Colossa church, he has compassion. And he writes a letter. Tells them about what Jesus Christ has done. What it should mean to them to pray, to read the Word, to read it again, to, to continue then to look in their own lives and Father examine their own lives and see, are we doing some of these things? Father, I pray thousands of years later now, as we are in a nice building with air conditioning and lights, Father, that we would take this love letter and not just say it's, it's a letter written by an old man to a church. But Father, understand that this is a letter that you wrote to us. Therefore, what should we do? Father, help us to resolve in our own lives that we are going to be Christ-like no matter what. If it costs us to be thrown in prison, we're still free on the inside. If it costs us to lose our life, eternity is the next step. Father, help us to live bold as Paul did. Paul did. Father, help us to share your word, to read your word, that sin would disappear. Father, I pray that you would help us, Father, to be students of your word, lovers of the cross, and sharers of the life of Jesus Christ in all that we do, in word and deed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Have a great night.